0: You are listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of ICMForum.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Chris, and in this episode, I want to know just how bad a film print has to be before the experience is destroyed. Is it anything below 4K? Have we become that foiled? Are our old DVDs and VHSs just trash now? Have we been trained to have an adverse reaction to anything that is not in pristine condition? And if so, what do we do with the just endlessly long list of classics that sadly have not had their Blu-ray releases or 4K restorations? Because there are key films in cinema history, including films by masters like Satyarit Ray, that have just not been released on home cinema since the days of VHS. There are silent films that laid composing in archives, basements and attics for decades before finally being unearthed They have battle scars, often with scenes so deteriorated you can barely make out what's happening. And for some films, this is all that remains just a blurry, scratch, remnant of what once was. Today I'm sitting here with a panel of mostly, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, almost obsessive completists. Some of you may be recovering completely, but I know that almost all of you have been watching utterly terrible prints of old films on YouTube in the past. And I really want to know if it was worth it. At what point you can still even enjoy what you're watching. And if you're doing yourself and the films a major disservice by A, watching them or, or be not watching them because that's the conundrum isn't it do we wait for every film to get their beautiful 4k restoration or re-release or do we go in with a degree of understanding and try to judge the films as best we can after all we're all children of the era of vhs that's how we saw enjoyed and even fell in love with so many films Surely, we can still fall in love with films that don't look their best, or, to repeat my opening thesis, have we just become too damned spoiled? Time to bring in my absolutely wonderful co-hosts Adam, Lauren, Saul, and Tom, and to just get my first question out of the way, have you ever watched VHS Transfers or just
1: badly corroded silent films on YouTube. Hi Chris, it's Tom here, and I actually have, surprisingly, watched films in poor quality on YouTube. Ooh, shocking! (laughs) I think it would hark back to my early days as a cinephile, when I was at university, and I only had a laptop to watch my films on, and I was quite happy to watch films by uh, directors such as Chaplin and Keaton that were only available to me on YouTube, in quite low quality and Chaplin actually became one of my favourite directors and I revisited a lot of his films once they were available to me in better quality. So yep, I have watched films in poor quality in the past though my outlook on that has changed somewhat in the years since then. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that
0: because you're kind of the reason I'm even having this episode because you just refuse to watch anything that's not perfect these days. <laughs> but what about you, Saul? I
2: think you're the opposite, right? Yeah, if I would happily watch most films on AVHS Transfer, if that's what's available out there, a lot of it depends on what's available and whether something better is available or not. But if something's not available in a better quality, AVHS Transfer is not going to put me off. Like you said in your intro, Chris, we all grew up watching VHS, so it's quite acceptable. And I probably watch more VHS transfers these days than back in the older days when I first started watching films that were coming online, because these days I'm actually watching most films online on an iPad. And with a smaller screen, if it's a VHS transfer, as long as it's noticeable as if you're watching on a big screen TV. So yeah, for me, it's fine. It's not my first preference, but I, I'm more than happy to watch a VHS transfer if that's what's available for a film. Yeah, I guess I'm
3: happy to watch films regardless of quality, although if the quality becomes like terrible, then I will, I will only watch it if it's something I really, really care about, but for the most part I'm not that worried about the quality. And what about you, Lauren?
4: Uh, well, I actually like vhs transfers of horror films because i think horror looks better in vhs and mostly i'm not too bothered whether it's vhs transfer or the corroded silent films i mean mostly on youtube i only watch short films but most of the time it doesn't bother me it just depends how bad it is if i literally can't see anything then i'm not that interested (laughs) but otherwise it's, it's whatever
0: yeah, it's a problem and you literally can't see anything. <laughs> and there are a few films that are almost like that. We're gonna, probably going to talk about them a little bit later. There, there's some films that I definitely wish I just had not seen in, in that condition. But uh, you already answered this question, Lauren. But uh, my next question is just, why would you watch a film that's in near terrible condition? And do you... Try to at least see the best version of a film that's available.
1: So, I will always try and see the best version of a film that is available to me. Image quality does matter quite a lot to me because I'm the opposite of Sol. I wouldn't dream of watching a film on an iPad. I like to watch it on a big screen to recreate cinema conditions as, as best as possible. And if you've got a low quality film on a big screen, then the impact is even more noticeable. I will always try and watch films in the best quality that's available to me, and I'm not opposed to avoiding films or just putting them at the bottom of my watch list if they're not available in a quality that is is good enough for me to enjoy without it having an impact on my appreciation of the film.
0: But what's good enough for you, Tom?
1: I'd say minimum DVD quality these days, VHS quality, When you're watching that on anything more than a 50-inch screen, then it becomes problematic, unless it's a style or aesthetic that is part of the film and is there on purpose.
2: So, yeah, look, I don't mind watching films on my iPad. It's not like I'm watching films that are the biggest blockbusters or the most visual films available. A lot of films that I'm watching, where I know it's not going to be a particularly great experience, And I'm more than happy to watch it on an iPad. And in terms of the quality, yeah, I do usually try and get the best available. But if the best isn't available, it's something that I want to see for a particular reason. So it's been promoted in a bonus challenge on the forum, or I needed to complete something on my letterboxed World Map, then yeah, if it's the best thing available in that quality, then yeah, sure, I'll take it. And Tom doesn't know what he's missing out on by not watching films on an iPad, The screen isn't really that small, and you have to position yourself with it, but you've actually got the screen right next to you, around 30 to 40 centimetres away from your face. It's actually a very intimate viewing experience. It's something that I definitely would recommend trying. I don't know if Tom just has never tried it before, but it's actually a very intimate and very personal way of watching a film. It's like having your own private little mini cinema in front of your face. It sounds
1: lovely, Sol, but I've got my own private cinema in my living room, so I don't need one. Right in front of my face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should get a live video episode just of Tom watching a film on his iPad at some point just to hear him screeching with pain.
1: I'm game for that. Pick a film. Wow, I didn't expect it to
0: be that easy. Um, What about uh, you, Adam? Why do you uh, watch films in, shall we say, terrible condition? Do you still get something out of them?
3: I guess I watch most films on my laptop. I mean, it's bigger than an iPad and it's not in my face with like the horrifying description that so just provided of his watching of films. Um, but I normally watch films on my laptop, sometimes just streaming them. And in general, I'm fine with that. Only if it's like something I really, really care about. Maybe I'll go to extra effort, like seeing it at the cinema or finding a better Quality or sometimes hooking up the laptop to the TV for the most part, I'm fine with streaming it unless it's like buffering or the quality really starts to make it unwatchable, which which is rare
4: so if a film's in really bad quality, if that's the only uh, option available, then I'll tend to watch it on my computer instead of the TV just so it looks not as bad. But yeah, I, I will seek out the best quality version of a film that I can find, but if I really want to see something then it doesn't matter.
1: What about you, Chris? What are your thoughts on watching a film on an iPad or in low quality?
0: Oh, I, I would never watch a film on an iPad, to be honest with you. Sorry, Saul, so is just not happening, unless I'm going to be a co-host in your uh, iPad episode and uh, we do it as a uh, for charity, essentially. <laughs> but I, I do watch terrible prints uh, of films uh, in VHS quality on YouTube. I have to admit that it's not the same experience. Some of them barely make out what's happening sadly and that's too bad but if there's a film i want to see and that's the only way it's available uh, i'll usually see it uh, especially if i think there won't be a restoration um there's a lot of films that I actually held out on i did hold out on a brighter summer day which i'm really happy i did like i went probably a decade I really wanted to see it, but it was only available on uh, VHS. So eventually it came out on Blu-ray. It looks beautiful. I'm just so happy I didn't see it in the terrible condition it it was in. But yeah, if there's a film I just don't think will get that restoration, I will watch it. And and, and sometimes I'm just wrong. Like, there's... So many films from small european countries that i watched in terrible prints thinking they would never get uh, restoration and suddenly the year after two years later something comes out and i'm just wondering first of all who gave the funds secondly amazing and uh, thirdly i guess i have to rewatch them now but uh, i will say that if a better print is available i'll always try to wait for that print i'm not going to watch a film in poor condition if i can see it as close to as it was intended as possible
2: so why do you watch films on the iPad rather than the TV? I just find it a more flexible way of watching. I've talked about this before, I think in film purism or another podcast, you know, I'm watching a film then I might need to go somewhere else in the room and, you know, I want to carry on watching it, I may have been going to another room because, you know, folding up some laundry. It just means wherever I am in the house, I'm able to take the film with me and carry on watching it and taking this film with you. You're not sitting there limited to one room, but it's actually following with you throughout the experience of everything that you're doing. I know you're not taking the shower. Although, if they got a waterproof (laughs) one. Of course you would. (laughs) Put it in a plastic
1: bag. (laughs) You you need some glasses that just display films at all times. So, oh, yes. Just throughout the day, you're watching films wherever you go and whatever you're doing. Maybe even at night when you're sleeping, just constant (laughs) stream of films.
2: (laughs) It would be dangerous when driving, but, you know, otherwise, I I guess it's a confident thing for me. I like having a film on. In the background, or like being able to watch a film when I'm doing a menial task. we talked about this a lot in film purism already. But, yeah, for me, it's very uh, – I just love the flexibility of being able to watch a film on an iPad, take it with me everywhere, wherever I want around the house, and be able to watch it in any room rather than being limited to one place.
3: Sorry, how big is your – because I'm getting a vision of you living in a mansion at the moment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, it's not a mansion, but, you know, it's not like a one-room apartment, four rooms plus kitchen and a dining area. Four bedrooms. Four
1: cinema rooms by the sound of it. (laughs) (laughs) Four cinema room.
2: (laughs) That was rich. Wow. Four bedrooms. Oh, wow. It's a master bedroom, there's two side bedrooms, which are pretty much DVD storage, (laughs) and there's a small little study. The study could theoretically be quarter bedroom, but you can barely get a bed in there, so whatever. You're welcome to come to Perth and check out my house, check out my DVD collection, (laughs) or have it shot off at any point. Let's
1: do it, I'm up for that. Talking images on tour. And you can
2: watch a film on the iPad with me at the same time. (laughs) We just walk around with you, yeah,
0: to do your shorts. (laughs) Maybe that should be our episode. Oh, to move on. Tom already mentioned this already, that he's just this really visual person. But I'd love to hear from uh, the rest of you just how visual you are uh, and just how much enjoyment you generally get from the visuals. What essentially is lost if you watch a film that is less pristine? I mean, even on DVD, is something lost for you? And Tom, you can probably answer that first.
1: To be truthful, the visuals are only one aspect of my enjoyment of film. I'm usually more of a narrative-focused person. But because I'm just that obsessed with watching a film in the, the best quality possible, I like the surround sound, I like the big screen, the nice pitch. I just like everything to be as close to cinema quality as possible. When I'm watching in my home, I like to sit down and give the film full benefit of the doubt, the best it's going to be, and give myself to it. You know, it's not a background thing. And whilst they're not key to my enjoyment, I think it just
2: all goes hand in hand with how I like to watch my films. So here's something that might be surprising, given the way the episode's turning against me at the moment. So the question was, are you a very visual person? The answer for me is yes. I think I'm actually extremely visual when it comes to films. I'd say most films, though, aren't. bit unfortunate, but it's the way it is, especially with a lot of older films, anything about the early talkies, early 1930s, where it was more about mastering how to record sound than actually blocking out great visuals. I'd say the vast majority of films out there, unfortunately, aren't very visual, and therefore I don't feel like I'm losing a lot if I'm watching it in a lower-quality transfer. When I'm talking about low-quality transfers, it's not for, you know, greatest films of all time. Like, I'm not watching a VHS rip of Lawrence of Arabia. I'm watching a VHS rip of maybe a 1930s or 1940s film that's very heavy on the dialogue, very low on the visuals. So a lot of it depends on the film. I mean, I said the same thing, I think, in the Film Purism podcast. I will generally always prefer to go to the cinema to see a movie. But if it's something I'm not going to like, I'd much prefer to watch it at home. So. I guess it's the same with movies in general. If it's a great movie, I'd much prefer to be watching it on my uh, big screen TV on a good Blu-ray transfer. However, if it's not a great film then and, and it's not very heavy on the visuals, then I'm more than happy to watch a low-quality version on an iPad because I'm not actually losing that much of it. Why not just watch better films?
1: <laughs> I was going to ask the same as well, Chris.
2: <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the films that... Watching transfers of that are of highest quality are ones that have been you know nominated for the doubling the cannon exercise. That's how this whole podcast episode came about which Chris will get into later or the films that I need to like watch for a challenge to get some bonus points or that I need to watch to put up my letterbox map. So I'm not always watching films because i'm looking to have a, a great amazing audio visual assault on the senses i mean yes i am obviously sometimes but i'm not always in it watching a film for that so i'll mention how this episode started so i think you might just get into that then because
0: as a lot of listeners will know there's this great call we do on icm forum and i few. Another forum is involved as well. Every year, it's called Doubling the Canon, where we essentially double the canon from National Pictures, don't they? And focus on a lot of underseen and great films that just have not been in that canon. And one of those films that were nominated, and it, it made a list, I mean, it's a fantastic film, is uh, Satyaj Ray's The Middleman. Just It's one of my favorites. Uh, I think Saul watched it for the first time this last month. He fell in love with it as well, but as with so many of Ray's films, it's only available on VHS, and that VHS print is on YouTube, so I tried to get Tom to watch it, but uh, he refused. He did not want to watch one of probably the best films of all time, just because the print was VHS, Wall, did. Is- so, uh, <laughs> Tom, why was that the case?
1: I've sadly had to sit through a VHS, well, less than VHS quality film quite recently on YouTube because of another aspect of the forum. And it completely ruined my appreciation of the film. It was a chore to sit through. It was horrible. You couldn't even make out the faces of some characters. And that's just not how I want to enjoy a film. And I love the films of Ray, some of his films, like The Big City and The Unvanquished, etc., rank among my favorite films. And he's got a lot of films that I'm yet to see. So I'm not gonna jump on one that has only VHS quality available and ruin my chances of liking it. And I did actually have a look around on the internet and I found that there was a good print shown during some festival a few years ago in America. So there's hope that in the future a better print might be out there and might become available to us but yeah with so many of his films that i've yet to see available in a good quality it's not like i'm desperate to complete his filmography immediately and i've got to see it because it's the last one remaining and i know it's going to be good i just feel like no matter how good the film is if the image quality is that poor where you can't really make out the characters then it's not going to result in a good experience for me
0: Well, that's not VHS, though. I mean, you grew up with VHS.
1: Yeah, I grew up with VHS, but I think the screens we were watching VHS on were a lot smaller than the screens we watch films on today, unless you're sold, of course, because it's become a lot more affordable and reliable to get a big home cinema, whereas back in VHS days, the the screens were a lot smaller, so the quality was not necessarily a thing. But because I've got used to watching on a big screen then I can't go back to watching on a a small screen, whereas back in the day that was not so much an issue.
3: Um, Would you not consider watching on an iPad if it was a film with worse image quality so that you'd have a better experience?
1: No, because there's that many films available in good quality that I can enjoy. I'll stick to the big screen. (laughs) That's a fair
0: enough reason, by the way, too, Tom, that a better print is technically available. So hopefully that will come eventually. I'm not sure if there's a right issue with Ray because there's so many of his films that just haven't been released on DVD, on even DVD. So hopefully that's coming sometime in the future and we'll all be (laughs) better off for it. But this did make me think a bit. What would you say is the worst-looking film you ever sat through?
4: Right, a summer day.
0: Yeah, there it is. I'm so happy I didn't didn't watch that. Brothers the Days, you're worth too, right, Adam? Yes. Then you can expand on it.
3: No.
4: Okay, I will then. Yes, yeah, so I actually have no idea what that film was about because I couldn't read, I don't know, 75% of the subtitles. They're just like white on white. And the I think the film's like tilted slightly and I just had no idea what was going on. Wow. So I, I couldn't enjoy the film. I couldn't get into it. I, I don't even know how people say they like the film because I don't know what happened. <laughs> So, yeah, that's my worst one.
1: Wow, yeah. I mean, it's out on Blu-ray now. It's quite a long film as well, isn't it? So you sat through the whole thing, even though after maybe about 10, 15 minutes, you realized that it was going to be a struggle.
4: Yeah, well, I wouldn't do it now. Now, if a, if a film's that bad quality, i just throw it on the look at it again later pile.
1: Was it mainly for the official chat, Chloe? We've all been there.
4: Yeah, and I guess I wasn't expecting it to be like that difficult... And then by the time I was an hour in, it was like, well, I can't really stop now, so I've got to keep going.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm a completist too. Never give up on the film you have started. Well done, Lauren.
0: <laughs> Do you think you'll rewatch it now that it's actually out with a good print because it's a very good-looking film?
4: Yeah, I didn't even know that there was uh, a better print out, but I think I would give it another go at some point, but I don't know when that will be.
3: So I was going to say a brighter summer day as well, and I think. That film stands out because even when you watched it in like bad quality and the subtitles were really bad, you could tell that it was a great film. Well, I could anyway. And it was like an endurance test, you know, watching it, but it was kind of worth it because it was the only way to watch it. And I wouldn't have sat through four hours unless I thought the film was very good. I would definitely rewatch it in, in a higher quality. Well, I didn't sit through it for a check, really. I sat through it because it was obviously a good film. But it was a frustrating watch, mainly because of the subtitles. It took a lot of effort to try and read the subtitles, which kind of took away from the film.
0: Yeah, we should probably talk about that a little bit. I mean, those uh, burned-in, hardcore subtitles that are available on a lot of VHS prints, I mean, they they can be... So hard to read. I, I don't even get why they were added. Did they just look better at some point? I, I mean, I just, I just don't get it.
3: It's hard to understand why anyone would make the subtitles like that and think it's a good idea. But it's, it's always a shame when it takes too much effort reading the subtitles because it's quite hard to focus on the visuals and the other aspects of the film. But sometimes, like in the case of A Better Summer Day, you can still tell that there's high quality. Even if there's lots of obstacles to watching it properly,
1: and that's the perfect example of image quality impacting someone's appreciation of the film. Because to many people, a bright summer day is you know nothing short of a masterpiece. But Adam and Lauren didn't get that experience at all due to the
3: image quality. Well, I liked it a lot. I'm all I'm saying. I thought it was a really great film. It's just it was a great film in spite of all the difficulties in watching it. I still watched it and thought it was great. So, yeah, it had a big impact, but that doesn't mean I came away thinking, hey, this film isn't great. I just came away thinking, feeling a bit frustrated that I'd had to watch it in those conditions.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's why I think I would want to avoid that frustration where possible.
3: So even if it's something like that you might end up thinking is great, you would, and it's the only option available, and you might never get to see it in your life, you'd still choose to just not watch it when there might never be, like, We didn't know when we watched it that at some point there'd be a better quality rip. That might have been our only option ever.
1: If it's my only option ever, then I may be tempted. But I just think with the amount of restorations that are gradually taking place and in my lifetime, anything that I really want to see, i'm just going to keep my fingers crossed maybe towards the end of my life who knows when that was going to be this is taking a morbid turn isn't it (laughs) maybe i'll just sit through all these low quality films that i've been building up for years because my eyesight will have deteriorated oh yes (laughs) so maybe they'll be fine at that point (laughs) maybe they'll be like 4k
0: Like oh, they, they, wow, I mean, I uh, first of all, very morbid erection. I was going to first ask, like, why would you even do that to yourself if you were close to that? But obviously, <laughs> obviously, if your eyesight is going too, you might uh, appreciate them a lot. So, and you can finally see The Middleman if it hasn't been released yet. I, I'm so happy I chose to wait for a brighter summer day. I mean, seeing it in the Blu-ray version is it, just so, so fantastic. And it looks beautiful. And... So many of these films from Taiwan, for instance, that's been restored. One of them I, I watched uh, on a VHS rip ages ago, and The Terrorizers, and that was just... I, I still liked it, but I-, I couldn't really feel it. And then, of course, just a few years later, it came out on Blu-ray. It- it's not the worst print of a film I've ever seen, though. I think the worst one has to be A False Student, which is a Masamura film. Frequently cited on the forum. It's on the Kinema list. So it's very well regarded in Japan. But some of it just has not gotten any kind of restoration. It's out in disturbingly bad VHS quality. And the the, the subtitles are hard to read as well. So I could not enjoy that film at all. It was completely destroyed. I'm just waiting for that film to be restored. Because it's just bloody awful looking. To it's deteriorate, to deteriorate the deteriorated VHS rip. And I, I just can't believe that sometimes small films you never think would be re-released or restored actually get restored. I mean, one of the other most terrible-looking films I've seen, and maybe it actually looked worse, is Leopard Yesner's Erdgeist or Spirit. because I, I love silent films and I've seen a lot of German silent films. If it was available, I would see it, even if it wasn't absolutely Terrible condition. Some of them I still managed to love, like The Stone Rider. I hope that like, gets a Blu-ray release one day, but you can still get the gist of just how great that film looked. But with Urgegeist, it was one of those VHS rips where, you know, you have the timestamps. It's all, all almost washed out. It's compressed on the screen as well. It's just terrible looking. Uh, I saw it years ago. I hated it. But then I think two, three years ago, it was with Monroe Foundation. They, did a completely beautiful restoration i haven't seen that one yet one of those cases where i can't believe it happened so uh, these days i'm really picky with what i choose to watch just because there's always that chance that it's going to get restored even if you know they kind of just hid away in the vault somewhere if it has any kind of relevance it, it just
1: might one day come out looking beautiful Definitely. I'm with you on that, Chris. And it is so good when you find out about restorations of a film that you're desperate to see. And I think for the worst film that I've seen regards to image quality is The Man with Three Coffins. Now, the reason I sat through this in poor quality is because on the iCheck Movies Forum, we have a World Cup competition where people nominate obscure films from all different countries around the world and people vote on which is their favourite out of this selection to advance to the next round. And this was a South Korean film that was nominated. And I feel bad on the person who nominated it because it's obviously a film that is close to their heart and it must be good. But the only version available to me was on YouTube. And it was horrendous, I'd say less than VHS quality. You couldn't even make out people's faces and I wouldn't have sat through it if it wasn't for the fact that you have to watch all these films to be able to nominate in the competition. But yeah, it was a struggle. And some people enjoyed the film. I think they may have had access to a better quality version somehow. But for me, it was just terrible. I was bored. I couldn't get into it. And it just shows how much image quality can impact someone. I watched the YouTube print as well. It's absolutely terrible. I completely agree with you. And I I couldn't
0: really get into the film. Uh, And I think it's a mood film too. I think it's really driven by the atmosphere. So that's too bad. (laughs) And it's made even worse by the fact that afterwards I learned that uh, there is actually a DVD release of the film. So I could have purchased that and seen it. It actually does exist in DVD quality. So that is really frustrating. And I hate it when that happens. I, I don't remember which film it was, but from all of the other challenges I've watched, a DVD print of a film, and I realized that it had just been restored on Blu-ray. <laughs> so I had, got, I had gotten the film before, uh, I watched it, I was talking about how, okay, I think I would have liked it more if it was uh, better conditioned and then suddenly someone writes, it was just released. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the worst. And I think the thing that really got me about The Man With Three Coffins as well, that it was on the, I think it was the South Korean Film Archive YouTube channel. And to me, it's just crazy that an entity that should be um, sharing beautiful films would choose to share a film in in such a low transfer. Moss Film, of all the old Soviet films, they share stuff in almost impeccable HD quality on their YouTube channel. And it just surprises me, the the contrast, when potentially there's this better stuff out there. Well, I guess it comes down to rights as well.
3: Another film I wanted to mention was nowhere near as bad as A Brighter Summer Day but The Grey Fox which many of us watched a few years ago um, because it was in 500 Under 400, pretty high up and that was a really great film but at that point it was just an old VHS for it so again it was much easier to watch because there was no subtitles but that was another film where it was a shame because you could tell it was a great film but the quality of the rip kind of had an impact and I think it's been restored in the past few years. So I, I guess like going back to the general point of this episode, I notice it most when it's a film I like a lot. So a brighter summer day, the gray Fox, I, I like them both a lot. And when you like a film a lot, that's when you really notice the quality because you realize it's slightly sort of taking away from the experience. Whereas if it's films I don't like that much, then if it's not a good quality, I don't really care. But there's certainly a feeling when you watch a film like a VHS for it, where you can tell, hey, this is a great film. And you feel like you're losing out on something.
0: Oh, yeah, you're completely right there, Adam. And uh, sometimes you're so frustrated at you might not be able to enjoy it as much as you should. I mean, I remember one of the other World Cup films that I watched and I could have loved uh, was The Contest, this, this film from 1960s, Turkmenistan, which, which has a really strong like satiric way vibe to it as well. It's just set in this, Romania set in this room where there's uh, music competition on and it really sh- makes you feel the music in a way, but it's in the VHS quality on YouTube. <laughs> and yeah, I was just wondering like, okay, how much, more would have been transfixed by this film if the visuals were actually there and i could really just get lost in this film because when it's that kind of quality you can't really get lost in the visuals i, I mean I, I feel like there's some films that are hurt more than others as well like if you have a beautiful atmosphere driven film that's probably gonna suffer like uh, Mam- the mammoth if that was in beautiful real print i might have loved that one i thought it was really poor But a film that's, for instance, more narrative-driven or driven by the dialogue, etc., that would probably not suffer
2: the same way because the main selling point would not have been destroyed, essentially. I might just quickly chime in and say that I think it's amazing that you guys have got such distinct examples of films that you've watched in terrible prints. I guess I've just watched too many 240p and 360p films on YouTube That I actually don't have anything that springs to mind as the worst quality print that I've seen. (laughs) Well, that's because you watch everything on your iPad. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Look, I I definitely agree about the hard-coded subs. That's probably the worst thing about me about low-quality prints. And that'll probably be the number one thing that will deter me off watching a low-quality print if the hard-coded subs are too hard to make out because the quality is that poor.
0: I I would... Actually, I'd also dive into a bit more of the psychological experience of watching something in a just terrible condition as well. I mean, what exactly goes through in your head? Do you try to be a little bit more objective and kind of fill in the gaps as in okay I'm kind of liking this but if this looked great I would have been as absorbed so I'm gonna give it a higher rating that I would based on my current experience or I'm gonna try to fill in the gaps or do you just watch it as is and get bored dismiss it get frustrated with it or or can your imagination just fill in these gaps and uh, uh, leave you loving the film all the
2: same As I said earlier on, a lot of it depends on the film. There are a lot of movies out there that are very dialogue-based, very narrative-based, that aren't very big on the visuals. So if I'm seeing you know poor quality transfer of a very talky film from the 30s or 40s, then, yeah, it doesn't actually impact on me at all. For more visual films, I guess I don't downgrade a film, at least I don't consciously downgrade it. I'm always aware of what quality I'm seeing a film in, and I'm not really going to at least consciously mark a film down just because maybe it doesn't look as pristine as it could look. I am very visual, but the visuals are only part of a film. You know, they've got the visual, they've got the audio, they've got the narrative there, they've got a lot going on there, and I don't grade films down consciously. Maybe I'm doing it unconsciously, I don't know.
4: I'm not much of a visual person. So it's not that important to me as long as I can make out what's happening. So I don't judge the film based on the quality of the print that's available just on what experience I can get out of it. But uh, listening to some of the previous conversation where people were saying that they notice or Adam was saying that he notices the bad quality of a film that he likes. But I was thinking like most of the films that I've seen with bad quality I haven't liked. Maybe it does affect me more than I know. But I think it's hard to know like what experience would I get out of this film if it was better quality, regardless of whether it's a an atmospheric film or a visual film or a narrative film. It, it doesn't really matter. So I, I can't really tell if I would have liked any of those films more if the quality had been better. But I don't purposely judge a film based on that.
3: I think I've already kind of answered the question previously. It sounds kind of strange, but with A Brighter Summer Day, it- on first watch, it almost added to the experience. Sometimes it almost elevates the film because you think, "Hey, if this was in good quality, it would be like ten times better." Mm. So sometimes, if you just watch the film in good quality the first time, you don't always think about the quality because it's just a normal quality film. But if you watch it in bad quality, yeah, it's easy to think, "Hey, I like this film. This film would be so much better if it was good quality, and I'd love it." And it kind of adds. A bit of mystery to experience, so I'm, I'm almost reluctant to watch A Brighter Summer Day again now it's been restored. In case actually it turns out to be a disappointment, maybe it isn't as great as I think it would be in good quality. Wow, now
0: well that's an interesting your point. It's a bit like Schrodinger's masterpiece.
2: Just something which Adam was saying there about sometimes it can be beneficial to watch a film in a less than amazing transfer. I've actually got a really interesting example of a film that I re-watched recently, and I saw it in high definition for the first time because the available print online was in 720p, and when I first saw it around 15 years ago, it was on VHS. And the film, is a bit of an obscure film. It's called The Triple Echo. It's a film which Michael Apted directed in 1972, and it's about this soldier who is is deserted his platoon? And he's hiding out, and he ends up getting dressed up as a farm girl. And I remember the first time around, I was absolutely amazed by how convincing he was as a woman. You sort of have this other soldier who comes and tries to romance him because he's such a convincing looking woman, and's not aware that it's actually a man underneath all the clothes and the makeup. Anyway, I was rewatching it a couple of weeks ago. And in 720p, I'm like, well, I can notice like all the stubble around his face. And I'm like, I don't remember that in the VHS transfer. So I think when I saw it on VHS, maybe because it was lower quality or like the pores and everything on his face weren't as noticeable. So watching it nowadays in high definition, I'm like, I can't believe they got that close to this guy's face. I didn't actually pick up that it was in drag. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting example.
4: I've actually found sometimes foundry watching horror movies that I watched in VHS in the 90s, watching the Blu-ray transfers now, it like loses something. It's not that I like them less, it's just there's some, something missing without the poor quality. Not quite the same as that example, but sometimes I've just not been able to get into a film as much when it looks better than I remember it looking.
1: I would agree with and there. I think the horror genre is a great example of this, when you've got creatures lurking in the shadows. and you know a lot of it depends on the atmosphere then low image quality can sometimes be helpful which is why you often see horror directors choose that aesthetic go for a grainy low quality image to kind of enhance the atmosphere it can sometimes work but i think that's the only area of cinema where i'd be happy to watch a kind of lower quality transfer I think it's
0: interesting that Adam talked about maybe even loving A Better Summer Day more just because of how bad (laughs) that print is. And from what I've seen of deals from that print, I mean, it looks just awful. So we kind of know Adam's answer to my next question a little bit. But what is the lowest quality a film can be in where you can actually enjoy the film?
2: Well, the answer for me, as I indicated early on, varies. It depends from film to film. If it's one of those dialogue-heavy films that isn't big on the visuals, 240p on an iPad is extremely acceptable. If it's a film which is really big on the visuals, then I'd probably prefer to be watching in 720p. Depends on the individual film. I can't actually make a general statement about that. I know Tom's Zantz, by the way, is 4K. He won't watch anything that isn't in 4K. <laughs> surprisingly it's not that extreme but i mean when you
1: mentioned 240p that just turns my stomach there's a lot of films available on youtube and anything 480p or less is just a no for me but i'm quite happy with my dvd collection they're perfectly fine but i prefer to watch blu-rays or 4k where it's possible but 240p that's just madness so i don't know how you do that to yourself
2: like I said, it all depends on the film, and there's something which Adam mentioned in the chat earlier on, which he didn't want to say because he said like it would come out sounding really harsh or mean. But when somebody watches as many films a year as I do, uh, you know, a thousand, two hundred, not all of them are going to be high definition transfers just by design because I'm watching that many. I'm not always after that high quality uh, audio visual experience. So, yeah, for some films, you know, 240p is fine. And there was a question which I'm not sure is going to be asked. Do you watch VHS tapes? Uh, I've still actually got VHS tapes of some films I've never upgraded to DVD, but I haven't got it plugged in VCR. So I moved houses about a couple of years ago, and I've never actually plugged a VCR into my new TV but that's not because of the VHS quality, it's mainly the inconvenience of watching a VHS or the rewind stuff. It's not as easy as doing it on a DVD, and also it's just not as convenient. So I'd much rather search for an online print, so like when I went to watch the Triple Echo, rather than plug in my VCR and get it at my VHS and went, oh, can I actually find this online? Or it actually is on OK.ru and it is in 720p. Okay, I'm going to sit down and watch that. But, uh, yeah, look, it's mainly the inconvenience that I don't watch VHS. It's not really due to the quality, although it's probably at the stage where most of the VHS tapes are deteriorating just naturally due to age. Also, you can't connect
1: your VHS player to your iPad, so that must be problematic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that will be the ultimate. I'm, like, walking around the house carrying a VCR plugged into an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> completely killed the inconvenience of it
0: I used to have, like, ages ago I had this, like, little tiny TV with uh, VHS uh, built into it uh, so you could put the VHS in and you play it and if you've got an extension cord you can just hold up that tiny portable TV and walk around with it all around the mansion
2: It's not a mansion I was actually looking a few years ago into buying a portable DVD player this was before I got an iPad and the actual weight of it. It's just not that convenient to walk around and put it from place to place. I mean, it looks nice because it's great and portable, but it's actually not that convenient. Uh, iPads are quite light. They actually give really high quality. I mean, not 4K, but you get uh, 1080p on it quite well. So yeah, look, it it suits my purpose fine. Uh, Walking around my very modestly sized house and Alan's just put a crazy picture in the chat. Okay, I'm going to turn over to somebody else. I'm going to have to laugh at the picture. <laughs> I'm actually
0: shocked that Tom admitted that he still watches his uh, DVDs. I mean, I, I still have lots of DVDs around, but I don't think I'm watching any films I know are great looking and know have a Blu-ray release. Or on my dvds anymore i'll always get the best print, just because i guess i've been st- that spoiled i just can see the difference now and but well, i was perfectly fine with dvds for a very long time and, I, and it's still an okay quality if it's if it's not out or if it's a film that doesn't look brilliant i'll, I'll probably watch it still but if a blu-ray is available i'll just always go for the blu-ray because that distinction is it, just huge
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm with you on there, Chris. I think that there are a lot of films that I enjoy that aren't out on Blu-ray as well. Lots of obscure horror films and stuff like that that are only on DVD. So I don't really re-watch stuff much, but when I do and I delve into my collection, it would usually be for like old horrors and stuff that don't have a better transfer. But I'm with you. I would always prefer Blu-ray transfer if possible. Oh, and in terms of still watching VHSs, I think the problem
0: with VHS is it also deteriorates so much. My dad owned a VHS store back in the uh, 80s. And within like a decade, most of those films were pretty scarred and messy. And we just kept having to throw away. So much of the old stock. I, I still have some put away somewhere, but I'm pretty sure they're very bad at, at this point. I, I mean, I don't have a VHS player anymore, but, uh, in, uh, my wife's family summer place, they, a few years ago, they still had the VHS, it's uh, recorded there, and we didn't have internet. It was one of those old TVs too, so I put in Beetlejuice and we watched it, and huge parts of that were so damaged, probably by damp and deterioration, etc., that you know it was hard to make out uh, Alec Baldwin's face, for instance. But it was, it was an interesting experience.
3: I'm kind of going into film purism territory, but I do think something is kind of lost in film watching experience because everything is now on streaming and everything's on your laptop and iPad. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I'm like, you, know, you had to go and buy it or rent it Basically when you put the VHS on, that was all you focused on. I don't want to sound ancient, but like there was not much else to do, you know, like you put the VHS on, everyone sat around and watched it. At that point you probably only had one TV in your house. So it's not really about image quality and it's more film purism, but I think nowadays young like people in general, not just young people actually, people in general, I think, probably pay less attention to films and TV because They're on their phones, they're on their laptop, they're on a hundred other things. Whereas, you know, back in the day, it was a big deal. Like, you had to go to the shop, you had to go to effort, you had to do all of this just to watch shit. And now you just go online and you've got everything. So it's not really a point about quality, I guess. But I do think the quality of watching experience has massively declined over the past, like as technology has developed that's my personal experience and it's also I think it's about society in general you know even if wherever you go now people are on their phones people are doing more things at once so it's almost like as the quality of the product has developed watching quality from people has declined
2: that's a really great point Adam I think there's definitely a bit of an irony in there that it was such a task to actually go out mm-hmm. and rent a film and watch them plug it in the old days and these days Films are available in such high quality, but you still see people riding in a subway, watching something on their iPhone, and that's not me, by the way. An iPad is much bigger than an iPhone. <laughs> Excuses. <us. laughs>
0: what about you, Laura? Do you still watch your VHSs?
4: I haven't had a VHS player in like 20 years, so no.
3: <laughs> Fair enough.
4: The, the last VHS I watched, I think, was in 2004 and it was Basket Case. Well, I love Basket Case, but the VHS was so, like, VHS-y. <laughs> and when I watched the Blu-ray version, it was just so slick, it was just felt wrong for Basket Case. That was the last thing I watched on VHS, so no, I don't watch my VHSs.:
2: And she logged the date. <laughs> Some Blu-ray transfers actually do look quite poor because the film was being cleaned up too much. I mean, I don't know if we're going to do a podcast on... Blu ray transfer sometime later because I know it's sort of floated somewhere. Some films, like The Terminator and Blu ray, just look so weird because everything's like being cleaned up a little bit too much. So I don't know how else to describe it, but some films look unnatural with the way they've been cleaned up for Blu ray.
0: Oh, Lauren just shared in the chat
2: that she actually did
0: like it. It was 5th of March, 2005. (laughs) So that was the last time Lauren watched a (laughs) VHS. And uh, yeah, you're completely uh, right, Sol. I mean, I think the color adjustments in, in uh, some restorations are just insane. I mean, I, I've seen them, you know, remove uh, the saturated color from uh, rivet films, for instance. It's just utterly ridiculous. In those cases, yeah, I mean, a DVD print at least would be much preferable to the complete change. You're arguing not even watching the same film anymore. But that's an episode we might actually... Uh, get to do later on building on uh, my last question which was what quality can still enjoy i mean what what is the lowest quality of a film where you feel like you can even judge the film properly is there any point when the print is just so bad that you just feel like no i
3: I just cannot judge this at all it's not so much image quality i guess but Certainly the subtitle point, the biggest one for me is when it's very difficult to read the subtitles. So I guess it's about image quality a little bit. That's a time when actual viewing experience is directly affected because you're spending so much time and effort trying to read the subtitles so you can't watch the film properly. So I think that, for me, is definitely the biggest one because it directly impacts on your viewing.
4: For me, it just has to be visually coherent. I don't mind if it's a bit scratchy, a bit blurry. If I can read the subtitles, see the people's faces, like, well, can see the action happening on the screen, that's good enough for me. I, I'm, I'm not that fussed.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to jump on Lauren's back and just you say visually coherent. I think that's the best way of putting it. And also what Adam said about subtitles, as long as if they're hard-coded subtitles, I can make them out or make out eighty, ninety percent of them, that's fine. As long as I can tell what's happening, that's fine. And that's assuming this is a bit of like a bottom fodder film rather than Lawrence of
1: Arabia. I think I've kind of covered this in what I've said previously, but anything DVD quality or above is fine for me. Anything less than that, it's going to impact on my enjoyment for the film and potentially hamper a film's rating. I wouldn't choose to watch anything less than DVD quality.
0: I'm not fully in the same boat, that's Tom, because I will watch VHS rips, VHS transfers and the damaged silent films. But I've definitely become picky. If it's so blurred that, you know, you can barely make out facial expressions, for instance, or it's severely scratched, corroded, don't necessarily feel like it can judge it. And today, I will usually avoid these films and just hope they'll be re-released in the past i was not that picky but uh, now i definitely am i'm getting more and more spoiled come already answered this but what about you guys do you feel like you become more picky or uh, are you still open to watching these damaged silent
2: films and deteriorated vhs transfers i think i've already answered this already but i think i've become less picky as i've got older and it all depends on the sort of film so i, I have already answered this already
0: Let's flip the tables on this uh, a little bit and end the episode on a bit more of a uh, positive note. Though that might depend on how you guys respond. Uh, How do you feel about films that choose to be in poor quality uh, as an actual artistic and aesthetic choice? Adding scratches, pixels, glitches, uh, deteriorating film strips, uh, shooting on VHS even. How do you react to films that are actively trying to be in low definition? So I'm thinking found footage, I'm thinking dogma, I'm thinking Guy Madden, and anyone who chooses to make films that look less than 4K.
1: If it's an artistic decision for a film to look that way, then I'm all for it because it's a conscious decision by the director and the team behind it it's not that the film is only available in poor quality because it's deteriorated over time and it needs a restoration i love found footage for instance what the filmmakers are going for by leaning in towards the scratchy grainy image stock and it does work well for that also films which use maybe some glitchy mobile footage which you know, only for a few seconds and certain moments during the film, like Lake Mungo, for instance, that's an excellent horror with elements of found footage, and there's a few glitchy scenes in there that are very memorable and work really well. So I think that's slightly different to image quality, whereas it's just a a lack of availability in a
2: good print, and I am open to it. I can't really think offhand of any films that are, Intentionally, in low quality, that I actually enjoyed. I generally don't like Guy Madden's films. We've gone to this in previous podcasts before, and awesome previous podcasts, I've said how much I dislike found footage. So, for me, it doesn't actually quite work, which might sound a bit ironic because I'm the person saying that image quality doesn't matter half the time. But that's for films that aren't being visual, and if they're putting poor quality out there on purpose and it actually is a visual choice that actually is a very visual film from that point of view on that account it wouldn't quite work for me i'm thinking actually mostly i'll get him a rink first time i've actually said it out loud so that found footage film that came out earlier this year or late last year uh which is just the most insane found footage film available because it's found footage but it's in the 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio, so it's on, like, super wide screen, but it's made to look like a VHS tape. And I spent the whole time watching the film going, what on earth was going on in their heads? (laughs) What on earth were they trying to achieve? Hopefully we'll eventually have an aspect ratio podcast because aspect ratio, I think, is actually one of the most interesting things about films, and it's one of the things that has probably been most altered over the years due to pad and scan, and VHS transfers and TV prints that cut off different parts of the frame. But uh, yeah, I don't know with our skin rink, I was just like, what on earth is going on here?
1: I'm quite glad you brought that up, Sol, because I actually enjoyed that somewhat and that is an example of a film that is in really poor quality on purpose and I think it added a lot to the film. I think if it was a crisp and pristine film, it wouldn't be as impactful yeah that's a great example of where a low image quality can enhance it when it's used specifically by the director not that
2: you had the same experience as me but from my perspective anyway i think for anybody who hasn't seen skim the rink it's actually not just poor image quality it's actually poor sound quality also so i don't know if we do a sound quality podcast also at some stage but yeah that one's just full of muffled audio. And I think there were parts where they were like subtitled, but then parts of it weren't subtitled. And again, just like had no like scratch in my head. What on earth were they trying to achieve? But I'm glad you got something out of it, Tom.
0: What about uh, you, Lauren? Can you enjoy films that are purposefully made to look uh, deteriorated, scratched, or just generally shot in lower quality?
4: It just depends on the film. I really like Astron 6, Man Borg, and Father's Day have that kind of style. It's not really low, but I don't really consider it low image quality. It's just an aesthetic. It doesn't bother me, and I can enjoy it. And I like found footage too, and Dogma 95 and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really, as long as the film is good, it doesn't really matter.
0: So you mentioned that you uh, don't like iMadden. You mentioned
2: that you don't like found footage, but how do you feel about Dogma? Yeah, that one... Probably depends on the individual film. Yeah, there were some films like dogma films like The Idiots from Lars von Trier, where I was just like, I don't know what on earth they're going for there. But there was other dogma films, which isn't all just about visuals or the way that it's shot. So, yeah, for me, it depends really from film to film. Idiots did nothing for me, for instance, but absolutely loved Breaking the Waves. Yeah, fair enough. So at least there's some
0: films with slightly worse image quality that are made on purpose and Saul can still enjoy. What about you, Adam?
3: I can't really think of many examples off the top of my head. Like Feston, for instance? Actually, yeah, funnily enough, I just Googled it. to try to see the quality again. I think Festin's great. I don't know if the quality... I, I just know I liked it. And if it's deliberate, I don't think it detracts from the film. Whether or not it makes it better, I think, depends on the individual film. Certainly, I like Festin more than the other films I've seen by the director. Wait, Saul has never seen it. What the hell? Yeah, we're all stunned now. Maybe we'll do a Festin podcast.
1: <laughs> or a Dogma podcast. Just to force him. I'm just baffled by Sol, because you watch hundreds of crap films, which you openly admit that you do. You don't have the time for films like Festin or... Like Mungo, how come, why do you focus in on the, the bad cinema when there's so many great films
2: out there you haven't seen? I'm pretty sure we've covered this before, but there are a lot of films out there where when I was first getting into cinema, it wasn't readily available, and now that it is readily available, I have got priorities in other areas. And then there's films like Festin, whereas I think when it first came available to me was the first time I first saw The Idiots and some other Dogma films, that I didn't like. So I guess before watching Breaking the Waves and the original Dogma films that I saw were to the point that it sort of turned me off by exploring Dogma are more. And I guess, yeah, since then, you know, I've got other priorities. So it's not all about trying to watch all the classics. We're getting some really bad comments in the chat there about saying I was absolutely madness. But there's always going to be gaps in my viewing just because when I got into film, was in the VHS day, the day where if I wanted to see a rare film and i to import it on DVD from overseas. So just, you know, some big classics that I've just never caught up with. And I've never really been priorities for me because, you know, I'm 20 or so years, I guess a bit more, it's my film-going journey now and I sort of know where my interests lie. So I'm naturally going to go for films that I'm expecting to appeal to me rather than trying to plug in all the holes along the way. I'm not a disgrace to cinephilia. (laughs) I'm probably a logical progression of, I think, a cinephile in general. Somebody gets into film and they go, wow, I'm going to do all of these, you know, entry-level movies and check out all of these classics. But when you're somebody has been watching films for two decades, you know, you're no longer in that position. So, yeah, look, I, I think it's quite logical where I am. I was just joking, so sorry oh okay that's okay <laughs> no i've said before adam you need to say all these things out loud in the podcast because when you type it in the chat and there's no emoji attached i don't know what the expression is <laughs> i didn't think that
3: you would seriously believe me when i said you're you're a disgrace to Cynophilia.
2: oh lord
0: that death threat was definitely serious
2: i was speed reading the chat as i was talking and there's probably just the one phrase that i jumped out i mean lauren said kill him
3: Without any emojis, <laughs> me saying you're just getting a filly, I get the reaction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Lauren has since confirmed that she was indeed serious, and obviously Lauren is in Australia, so it might be a short car ride away from your dead cell.
2: Okay, something else because I've just started reading over the chat. There is people reminding me that the director of Feston was the same guy who did another round, and another round was absolutely awful, so uh, yeah, I'm going to put up watching Feston for another 22 years. I think Feston's much, much better,
3: and it's a totally different... It's a completely different film in my opinion, totally different. I don't know what anyone else thinks, but I've seen it. three three films by the director, and Feston's my favorite by a male, so I'd be interested to hear what other people think, but I don't see any similarity whatsoever between Festin and Another Round.
1: Festin is a great film, and I think if all of my other posts are telling me that a film is great, even if it's a film slightly outside of my area that I'm not interested in, I'm going to take the punt and watch it. So I think you should, Saul. Same as Lake Mungo. We all believe that you're going
3: to enjoy him, so you should give them a shot. And if you don't, Saul, Lauren's going to go and kill you, okay? And there's no emoji after that. Death by iPad. She's on her way right now, okay? So get the iPad out, start walking around the mansion, and put on festin.
2: I don't know how this turned into a podcast about me. Um, <laughs> I, I think we should let uh, Chris try and uh, get us back on topic because I have no idea where we're up to. Please come back for another episode so we won't, we won't gang up on you. I mean,
3: Tom, Tom was the ringleader, in fairness, which was unexpected. Chris has vanished. I think
1: he's just abandoned the podcast because it's fallen into disarray. Apologies, Chris. We need you back.
3: Oh, good to know. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. So I guess I well, first of all, I'll so see fest. I, I mean, I can say that I really like Dogma as well. I, I used to not enjoy Dogma. I used to be really frustrated with directors who shows. To uh, make their films worse than they could be. I mean, I had that problem with Prayers Vampire as well. But over time, I really learned to uh, love and appreciate that kind of aesthetic. And I also absolutely love Guy Madden. I really enjoy the kind of uh, never worlds that Guy Madden creates are just so richly beautiful and interesting. I love the 20th century as well, films like that. And also films like what Bill Morrison has been doing or uh, Jose Luis Guerin with Train of Shadows where they actually use tiled footage, to grow and kind of make new art out of it. That's beautiful as well. So I think there's a lot of beauty in purposefully using damaged material or using a lower quality film. It can really work and in found footage it can sell the authenticity as well so uh, i'd love to hear some of your favorite low visual quality film be that films that are purposely bad or be that films that exist in poor condition like films you love that just don't look great and then maybe we can finally go away from the
1: morbidity we had earlier where everybody wanted to kill Saul. lake michigan monster it's a canadian b-movie that is purposefully delivered with a low visual quality lots of scratches and glitches and stuff that really enhance the look of the film and the style and i think you'd enjoy that and that's probably one of my favorites with image quality but again it's because it's been made to be that way and it works wonderfully for the film so yeah that's lake michigan monster and i highly recommend it Okay.
0: I mean, I'm usually not as big on genre stuff as you, but if it's anything like Guy Madden, definitely. Yeah, so Lake Michigan monster. I'll uh, note that down. My favorite purposefully low-quality film has to be Brand Upon the Brain. Guy Madden at his craziest is just so stunning. In, in terms of films in terrible quality that are, are at way, because they haven't been restored yet, I don't have any top favorites, sadly. Largely just because I'm a very visual person like Tom, and if the print is too bad, I just won't be able to enjoy it the same way. Oh yeah, this mentioned the middleman, so I don't consider the middleman to have terrible quality, I'm okay with the decent VHS quality. Uh, The middleman is a favourite, I have several favourites that are in decent VHS quality. I mean actually, terrible. Terrible visual quality. And the only one that really comes to mind that I really, really enjoyed, even so, is Nimirni or the Naughty Ones by Vojclav Kakan uh, Rakonyak. This uh, Yugoslav Black Wave film He's the same director who made some of my favorites, like Before the Truth and uh, The Vault Inn, which are available in very good quality. This one is still trippy. It's still extremely cool. But it's one of those very glitchy, discolored VHS rips where it's kind of green coming in, it's all blurry, but uh, I I still feel like I got the gist of the film and I really enjoyed the the ride. And that's one of the things I couldn't wait for because I just don't think that film will be restored anytime soon,
2: but hopefully it will happen. I can't think of any purposely terrible looking narrative films that are considered to be an all-time favourite. I guess maybe thinking maybe some of the experimental stuff like Corpus Colossum by Michael Snow isn't in the most amazing looking transfer possible. Something that's not available in better quality, something like back and forth, isn't, you know, high definition, but it's a much more unsettling film because not only do we not know what's happening when the camera's swinging back and forth, it's such non-high definition quality that you can't quite make out what's going on. So I don't really have any narrative cinema examples, but there are some experimental ones where the low visuals aren't really a detriment, might actually enhance a little bit. But, yeah, I'm not sure, again, with Michael Snow, how much that's intentional, how much that's just the uh, best available. I guess in general I do prefer good quality visuals. I mean, as much as, you know, I might wax poetic about how great it is to be able to intimately watch a film on an iPad and I might talk about how many so many films out there aren't that visual. Like I said, I am still a visual person, so I do prefer visual films.
4: I actually can't even think of any of my favourite films that that don't have good quality. I mean, some people have thrown out Feston but I don't think it looks bad. And uh, I was looking through my favorites list, and every time I looked up a screenshot from a film that I thought looked bad, I thought, oh, it actually looks pretty good. So I have no idea how to answer this question.
0: I guess it's basket case then from your uh, curious narrative before a forgotten viewing in uh, May 2005. Or was it March? March, sorry.
4: Yeah, March 2005. Uh, but I didn't even think that looked bad. It was just, it looked like a VHS. But I don't equate that really with being bad and I've seen it in Blu-ray now so it's hard to... I'm sure I've seen a lot of poor quality VHS horror films as a kid but now I've seen them all in Blu-ray so I can't remember.
3: Yeah, I guess I'm just repeating what I said earlier A Brighter Summer Day and The Grey Fox were ones I saw in Bad Rips which have since been restored I haven't seen The Restoration yet I can't really think Beyond Festin which... I guess I agree with Lauren. It's not it's actually terrible. Um, but oh, yeah,
0: no, just I, I completely agree too. It's not. It doesn't look terrible, but it's obviously uh, yeah in a way that's not pristine. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm I'm struggling to think off the top of my head of other ones that are delib- deliberately sort of bad quality, but there probably are some. I just I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. It's something I associate more with horror films, which. I haven't watched a lot of.
0: Well, that's right, i Don't, don't worry about it. And I think the main thing that's come out of this is that we need to force Saul to watch *Festen* and just so many other films he's been avoiding. Uh, may, maybe Lawrence threats will uh, have an effect on him eventually. <laughs> With that, and uh, thank you for ending the episode on a grim. But uh, hilarious note, <laughs> I guess Saul, watch out, Lord might be coming for you. And uh, <laughs> um, if Saul does not show up in our next episode, um, don't read too much into that, dear listeners. He may still be doing pie, at least that's what uh, we'll be telling everyone. So thank you so much for listening, and join us again soon. You have been listening to Talking Images official podcast of icmforums.com